Okay. The time change worked. The first service was full. So now we've made room for you to invite all of your neighbors and coworkers and friends to the 11 o'clock service. See how that worked? Perfect. Next week, everybody bring two people, okay? Uh, these guys did a fantastic job. This morning was a little stressful for some. We have a really good team. They, they went and got a generator. We had candles and lanterns everywhere. They're ready to go. And then sure enough, it came on anyways. But thank you guys for all your work. My friend Wes, I don't know if you guys know Hannah and Wes. They, they are a special part of the Heritage family. And uh, if you see Wes, Wes is actually in a wheelchair these days. But from week one of David and Goliath, he goes, you got me thinking. You inspired me. So I went home and I started learning how to make a sling like this. And he gave it to me a minute ago. And then he got John, his son, to start making them. He said, John can actually throw a rock and hit a Coke can from 10 yards away with this. So I told him, I'm not going to try it this morning in the sermon, but I thought that was pretty neat. I will try it this afternoon. But we have made it. I will go away from all windows. Don't worry. I'll just tell Braxton to catch it. Um, all right, we're here. Act four. Yeah, you ready? I thought about messing with you and only doing half of it and make you come back next week. But I'm not going to do that. We have made it to the final uh, act of our story, David and Goliath. We're going to see how it ends. I know you've been anxiously awaiting, even though you know the story. That's the other thing. I thought I could just switch the ending and really mess you up. But I thought, you know, after spending more than 13 months walking through the book of Romans, which was fantastic, that was so good, it's really good for us to be able to uh, take our time and go into such detail of one of these Old Testament stories. I don't ever want you to think that the Old Testament is not important or somehow less important or that the Old Testament's over here and it's disconnected and then we got the New Testament and all the Jesus stuff. It, it doesn't work that way, okay? In fact, in case you've already forgotten from Romans, let me remind you what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 15, 4. He says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Of course, the hope he's talking about is the hope that we have in Jesus. So that's right. Even the things that were written in former days, okay, meaning the Old Testament, those, those things that were written were there to point us to Jesus. Did you know that? The Old Testament is very important. My mom and dad are here actually today visiting from Texas. And my dad has been a pastor for more than 40 years. But if you had the time to talk to him, you all don't have time for this after service, so leave him alone, okay? <laughs> but if you had time to talk to him and you got to hear his story, you would find out he actually came to know Jesus in his 20s when he was reading the book of Leviticus, Amen. Yeah, they never even read Leviticus, most of them. <laughs> but I'm telling you, the entire Bible is about Christ. Every time you open your Bible, no matter what page of the Bible that you are on, you should ask yourself the question, where's Jesus on this page? Where can I find Jesus on this page? And that's what we've been doing, and hopefully you've been seeing Jesus as we've walked through this story. I love how uh, the pastor, Alistair Begg, he's always saying, the Bible is a book about Jesus. In the Old Testament, he is predicted... In the Gospels, he is revealed. In the Acts, he is preached. In the Epistles, he is explained. And in the book of Revelation, he is expected. Cover to cover, 
is about Jesus. So we're here, final act, act four of David and Goliath. Let me recap, because some of you, you maybe have not been with us, okay? Here's where we're at. 1 Samuel 17, we've got the Israelites on one side of the valley and the Philistines on the other side of the valley. And they've been standing there facing each other for a while because... What happened this time, these guys would fight often, but this time it was a little different. The Philistines had a champion, a giant named Goliath. Do you remember what the word champion meant? Yeah, you do? You nodded your head. You don't know. The man of the between. <laughs> He's so bad wanted me to think he had known and remembered. The man of the between. The, the picture was that this man would come out between the armies to the battlefield to be a representative, a challenger for one side. And Goliath, this nine foot, nine inch giant, had come out and said, hey, instead of us fighting, you just send us your best guy to fight me. If he wins, we'll be your slaves. If I win, you'll be our slaves. Well, the the Israelites on one side, nobody moved, okay? Not even King Saul. And King Saul was the guy that it should have been. He was bigger than everybody. In fact, God had even said that during his reign, the, the purpose for him was to defeat the Philistines. This was King Saul's chance, but nothing. Just, just a lot of shaking, running around fearful. Forty days go by like this. Goliath comes out twice a day, morning and night, gives his challenge, and all the Israelites do are run away afraid. Then this little kid, David, shows up, full of God's spirit, recently anointed as king and waiting. Okay, no one else really knows that, but we know it because we're outside the story reading in. And he hears Goliath's challenge, and he's not impressed because he sees what? As God sees, while Saul and the rest of the army are seen as man sees. He just sees some guy out there who comes in the name of false gods when we come in the name of the living God. Why should we be afraid of him? Well, David goes around and tries to tell everybody this. No one wants to hear it, especially his brothers who are in the army. That's why David's there to begin with. But he finally gets to King Saul and convinces King Saul to let him go out as the Israelite representative. That's where we're at. So we're going to pick up and we're going to read the whole passage today. We're going to start at verse 40, which is the last verse we read last week, and we'll dive into this story. 1 Samuel 17 starting with verse 40. Then he, David, took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it 
and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way to Sharem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, whose son is this youth? Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that it is truth to us. We thank you for your spirit, for helping us to understand it correctly and to apply it to our lives. Help us to see as you see. Amen. All right, so 40 days have gone by and nothing has been happening. And all of a sudden, from across the valley, there's some movement. Now, Goliath, this must be far away. He can't really quite see what's going on, but something's going on finally. And he says, hey, shield bearer, get your shield and let's go. You know, it's time. Something's happening over there. And so they begin to walk. And so we, we make our way to the battle line. And both guys have made it there. Little shepherd boy David and, and giant champion Goliath. It's kind of like one of those pre-fight weigh-ins that you see on TV where they come face to face and they talk trash to each other. You know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And they try to look really tough. But here's the tale of the tape. Goliath is standing there. Remember, he's nine foot nine inches, in case you forgot. I'm guessing he's pushing 450 pounds because he's probably pretty big and strong. Nine, nine, four feet. Been a, been a warrior since his youth. And then you got little shepherd boy David. Now he's pretty agile, okay? He's pretty quick, good with his hands. He's already fought the lion and the bear, but he's probably like my height, you know, like five, six, five, seven, maybe 135 pounds. He might be 14 years old, okay? So, like, it's, it's, it's not really funny that, that, like, if the cameraman was there for this face-off, he'd be like, you know, like, like going like, because you couldn't get both of them in the picture at one time. I mean, this is a big, you know, there's no way that he has a chance, and it's not real impressive. Goliath is not impressed either. It says that he disdained him because he was a youth, ruddy and handsome, which is kind of interesting if you've been reading 1 Samuel, because Goliath saw in David pretty much exactly what we're told about David in chapter 16, right before Samuel anointed him. Samuel 16, 12 says, Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. No doubt, however, Goliath saw this young, you know, good looks as a weakness and was not impressed. Probably thought, is this a joke or something? And that's what he says. He said in verse 43, And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. This is the first trash talk in history. And so 
It's very interesting. You know, thousands of years ago, this is what trash talk sounded like. You know, like, I'm going to take you know, and feed you to the local wildlife. And, um, you know, so this is Goliath. He sounds scary. He looks scary. And this is what he's saying. The Bible also says that Goliath cursed David by his Philistine gods. Not that the Philistine gods were very impressive. We only have to look back to chapter 5 of 1 Samuel to learn about one of the Philistine gods. Do you remember the story of Dagon, the god of the Philistines? Let me remind you, okay? You, you guys got to study 1 Samuel. It's so good. The Israelites and the Philistines were fighting another battle. The Philistines won, and you know what they did? They stole the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember the Ark of the Covenant? You ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay, they took that. This is the dwelling place of God amongst his people, and they took it back to a place called Ashdod and put it in the temple of their god named Dagon, who was this statue god standing in the corner, who they had also carried in because he's just a statue. So he's standing there, and there's the Ark. Guess what happened when they woke up the next morning? Dagon, the god, had fallen face down before the ark. Well, they thought, that's not good. So they picked their god up. Hey, god, let me help you. And they put him back in the corner, <laughs> said, god, just stay right there in your place, okay? And they went to bed again. You know what happened the second morning? Dagon was face down again in front of the ark, this time with his head cut off, which is pretty good foreshadowing for our story, okay? And, and, and this is what's going on. So... In fact, when the prophets in the Old Testament, like Isaiah, when they talk about the gods of other nations, these false gods, I like to think of Dagon, who had to be put in place, standing in a corner. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 46. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry, they had to carry around their gods. They weren't real gods, they just carried around. There is burdens on weary beasts. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. God carries us, not the other way around. He says, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. Amen. He continues, they lift it, the gods that they make out of gold and silver, so that they can carry it on their shoulders with them. They set it in its place, and it stands there like Dagon. It cannot move. If someone cries out to it, it cannot answer or save him from his trouble. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. There is just one true living God. All these other gods are false gods, not gods at all, like Dagon who just stood in the corner. But here we are, and even though God is the only God, and even though God is the only God of the, of the Israel army, we're in this situation. And it's, and it's their own fault, okay? It's because of their disobedience, because of Saul's disobedience, because of Saul's you know, failure and refusal to follow God's commands. The prophet Samuel warned the people about this when, when Saul took over as king. Do we remember what it says in chapter 12, verse 14 and 15? Samuel told the people... If, you should always circle and underline the word if in your Bible when it says it like this. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But, verse 15, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will will be against you and your king. 
This has been the case of Israel's history throughout, okay, throughout their relationship with God. Whenever they would forget God and turn their back on him and his ways, God would give them over to their enemies, okay? And on this day, they deserved it. Because of their disobedience, because of their turning their back on God, they deserved this certain death facing them in the person of Goliath. However, we know at the end of the story, if you know it, it wasn't going to happen that day. Why? Not because Goliath wasn't really that strong, and not because the Israelites finally got enough courage to go out and defeat him, and certainly not because the Israelites didn't deserve it, because they did deserve it. So what hope did they have? The only hope is that a champion would come, a man of the between, and fight the giant Goliath on their behalf for them. That God would provide a deliverer for the people who had rebelled against him, an appointed, anointed, empowered king. Now, anybody got their gospel antennas up? We can pretty much just stop the sermon, right? And give a, you know, a, one of those called invitation. But we're going to keep going because I know you wanted to come to the end. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Now, he says the God of the armies of Israel, and Goliath was probably thinking, oh, yeah, you mean the guys on the other side of the hill that haven't been moving for six weeks? You know, am I supposed to take this real seriously? So much for their army and their God. But he was the Lord of the armies of Israel. The problem wasn't with the army, I mean, with the Lord. The problem was with the army of the Lord, right? They were the ones that are afraid. I mean, they were the, the army of the living God, and though he was big to look at, Goliath was just a representative of a nation that had false gods, gods that were dead gods, gods that weren't even gods at all. The army of Israel should have been thinking like David, seeing like David. King Saul should have been seen like David, but they were not. It's not really that much different from the church today. You know, I think sometimes we are the church of the one true living God, and yet we look around waiting for someone else to do the kingdom work instead of us. Why should the world take us seriously? No. He is the one true living God that gives us our power. If God is for us, who can be against us? We have nothing to fear in this world. If we're following God's ways and if we're seen as he sees, the world around us will see Jesus so that they will know that he is God. But that's what's going on here. David, coming in the name of the Lord, he says, going against Goliath, I want you to notice this is the first time ever in history that someone has said, I come in the name of the Lord. Did you know that? First time. See, God had chosen a people, the Israelites, but now he had chosen for himself a king. This was the first time there was a human being filled with the Spirit coming in the name of the Lord, a chosen king by God, anointed, appointed, empowered. So this wasn't really David versus Goliath. It wasn't even the Israelites versus the Philistines, was it? No, something else is going on here. By mocking the God of Israel and by inciting his own Philistine gods when he cursed David. Goliath may not have even known, and I'm sure he didn't know, but he was saying more than he knew he was saying. And we can see that this is a battle between the God of Israel and the not-so-much gods of the Philistines. David, on this one side, he knew and David also trusted the one true living God. He is not worried about the false gods of Goliath that he's cursing him by. It doesn't scare him at all. David was not seen as man sees. So now it's David's turn to trash talk. I love this. 
David's probably 14, probably never trash talked before, and he's probably new at this. And it sounds a little funny because he kind of copies just what Goliath said, except the difference of the power of the Spirit. He says in verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Now, I don't know what David's voice was like. He was 14. I have a 14-year-old. You know, sometimes his voice cracks every once in a while. And, you know, David might have sounded really silly. He was very small compared to Goliath. He also definitely didn't sound like Joe Weeks, you know, with that big, deep <laughs> voice. But David was not scared when he saw, I mean, Goliath was not scared, was scared when he saw David. Now he hears David talk. He's like, I'm going to cut your head off, you know. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to feed you to the local wildlife, you know, me, me. And, and he tries to say that. And, and, and Goliath is not afraid. But then I love it. This is the most incredible passage here in our passage, I think. David tells Goliath why he's going to do what he's going to do. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, that all the earth may know, underline and circle the word know, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly, there it is again, may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And there it is, this very huge, important biblical theme that we find from cover to cover shows up in our story of David and Goliath. You see, God's desire is and always has been to be known by the people he has created. Every person. The Bible says that he desires no one to perish. And Jesus says in John 17 that salvation is knowing God and his son Jesus who he has sent. Knowing God. And we know that God knows us. The Bible tells us he knows every hair on our head. But then there's scary verses like in Matthew where it says, well, we preached in your name and did all these things. And he says, away from me because I never knew you. But what do you mean never knew me? The Bible says you created me. You know me. Yes, but this is talking about a mutual knowing that he knows me and that I know him. And that's salvation. And he says, all of these things we're going to do so that the world, all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. Every tribe, tongue and nation. And when God sets out to accomplish things in his name, it's almost always so that the world will know that he is God. And this day is going to be no different. Even though David was the appointed and the anointed king, this victory was not going to be for the sake of David just to make him famous. It was so that all the earth would know that there is a God in Israel. So David's message to Goliath is actually a lot like David's message to Saul when he was trying to convince him to let him go out. Let me summarize David's gospel, if you will, to Goliath. Number one, he says, I come in the name of the Lord. Number two, he says, you have mocked the Lord. Number three, he says, I will kill you. And number four, he says, all the earth will know who God is. That's David's message. And finally, three and a half weeks in, we get to the action. The lead-up to this action has taken 47 verses, if you're counting. The fight takes two. Okay, this is like people that paid 150 bucks on, you know, pay-per-view, and they see a fight that ends in eight seconds. Okay, verse 48. Here we go. You've been waiting since the 1st of October. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. 
The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. Goliath fell, just as Dagon had fallen in Ashdod. Then, before continuing with the narrative, we're told how this victory did not happen. Look at verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. No sword. There was never going to be a battle between David and Goliath, the little shepherd boy versus the big giant. This battle was won exclusively by God, and there was no way that anyone could say differently. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath. This is a big sword. Remember, David didn't even want to use King Saul's sword, much less the giant's sword. But he takes it out, kills him, cuts his head off with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. You notice the Philistines didn't hang around to become the slaves of the, of the Israelites. That was the deal. They broke it. They fled. Oh, and after 40 days now that the Philistines are on the run, the army of Israel all of a sudden gets real courageous and they finally do something. Look at verse 52. The men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout. Hey, we got the guy. And they chased the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. Our story ends with David taking the head of Goliath to Jerusalem, which actually happens much later. This is one of those times where our narrator kind of takes some things out of order to, to share more of the story with us. Because David doesn't even make it to Jerusalem until 2 Samuel chapter 5. But he's, he's helping us to see here that this is where David's journey to Jerusalem as king began. I don't know that he carried it around the whole time forever, but he probably put it in a bag maybe. We see that David has some things going on with King Saul here. This is a flashback. You start to think as you're reading it, Saul is losing his mind. How does he not know who David is? He just had this long conversation with him and everything. I think it's a flashback. And, and I think, again, it's Saul showing that he really just was pretty incompetent. Now, he also might have been asking whose family was in because, remember, Saul had promised that he could marry the daughter. So this is now he's going to be his son-in-law. So he's probably saying, hey, what kind of family is my new son-in-law coming from? I don't know. But, but here's the question for us as we finish David and Goliath is where is Jesus in our story? Like we started today. No matter what page of the Bible that we're on, where is Jesus in the story? You know, David's unique expression, I come in the name of the Lord, is used another time in the Old Testament. And it's in Psalm 118. Psalm 118 verse 26 says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, Psalm 118 is one of the most quoted chapters in the New Testament from the Old Testament. Did you know that? Lots of verses of Psalm 118 are quoted in the New Testament. And this verse is quoted in the New Testament. And this might sound familiar because a lot of times we read it every year at Palm Sunday. But in the book of Mark, Mark 11:9 says, Remember on Palm Sunday, those who went before and those who followed, they were laying branches in front of Jesus on the donkey. And they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, the World Series started two nights ago. And like many of you, I love baseball. That's the most American thing. And, and as a kid, I had that dream. I laid in bed lots of nights thinking about this daydream and probably at my desk in school most days thinking about that dream of being in the World Series. You've had it. 
And my dream is just like everyone else's dream. It's the bottom of the ninth, the last game World Series, and I'm at the plate, and I hit a game-winning walk-off home run. Has anybody ever had that dream? Yeah, everybody. Everybody. You run the bases. The whole team's waiting for you. You just won the World Series. You cheer. You're the hero, okay? But I'm going to be curious to ask you, did any of you, in having that dream, pretend that you were the pitcher who gave up the game-winning home run to lose the World Series? Of course not. Nobody would ever do that. Nobody. And oftentimes we read these stories in the Bible and we like to sit back and we try to find ourselves in the Bible. And I know many of you for the last month have been walking around daydreaming thinking, I'm David. I can take down these giants. And I am here to tell you today, no, you are not. In fact, I want us to daydream for a moment and I want you to think of yourself as part of the Israelite army over there across from the Philistine army. Goliath in the middle, you are afraid, you are facing certain death. There is no rescue in sight. Your only hope is that there would come a champion, a man of the between, who would fight and deliver a victory for you. And this is where we find Jesus in our story. You see, Jesus comes not in strength. He comes not with a sword or a shield, but in weakness, carrying his own cross, fighting and conquering death on our behalf. Because that is exactly the situation that every person who's ever been born is facing. Do you know that? I know you would love to think that you are just good enough to get into heaven or that you were born, luckily, into the right family to get into heaven. But the fact is, when we are born, we are facing certain death with no hope except. You see, the great enemy is death. The Apostle Paul writes why the great enemy is death. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Verse 56. The sting of death is sin. Let me explain. The sting of death is sin. You see, the reason that death is our great enemy is because death isn't just the end of life. But because of sin and its sting, death means eternal judgment for everyone that ever dies. Sin is the sting of death. Look, it continues. Paul continues, the power of sin is the law. Okay, so sin has power. You say, well, Brian, what do you mean by that? Sin isn't just bad behavior. Sin isn't just things that we do we wish we wouldn't do or that things that bother other people. Okay, no, sin has power. The power of sin is the law. Sin is rebellion against God's law. It's against his ways, against his standard of holy living. And because every one of us has broken God's law by our own sin, we face, because of that sting, a certain eternal death when we die. However, and this is where we find Jesus, verse 57, if we know him, if we have put our trust in our champion, we can say with Apostle Paul, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you know your champion? Do you know? I know he knows you, but do you know him? Have you received that salvation because you have known the man of the between? The man of the between you and your certain death because of your sin. If yes, then you have that hope of eternal life. Which is why all of these stories in the Old Testament get us so excited because it points us to the hope we have in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you are the one true living God. There is no other. There is none like you. 
You are the only one deserving of praise and of glory because you have accomplished something on our behalf that we could never do on our own. You have made a way for us to, to defeat the sting of death because of the blood of Christ poured out for us, covering our sin. Father, thank you for making us family. Thank you for adopting us as children and making us co-heirs with Christ. We thank you for the blessing it is to be part of your family, and I pray that you would help us to see as you see, that we would go out each day courageous like David, seeing the world for what it is, and help us to be a light in that darkness as we go. We love you, Lord. Amen. See you guys next week.